the second part of this is feeling included so that you can actually just look after your physical health. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about the barriers for LGBTQ plus people in terms of mm-hmm. looking after their their health, their participation in physical activity, what the barriers to those things are. So I guess if we start, if I were to ask you what are the biggest barriers that people in that community face, what would you say they are? So I guess my my way of breaking this down, which comes from um, uh, a review of the literature that I worked on with a, with a couple of other academics, was that you can kind of break it down into, into three sections. So uh, systemic barriers to, to participation and engagement. So thinking about um, sort of wider societal oppressions that, that may influence the way people interact with sport and physical activity. So things like um, transphobia, minority stress, trans moral panic, that kind of thing. Situational influences, so very specific oppressions about certain, whether it's certain situations. So for example, uh, an exclusionary policy at a gym or sporting organization or whatever it is, Um, and internal influences. So the way that people, trans and gender diverse people their sort of internal thoughts and feelings and that how that might interact with the way they engage with sport and physical activity. So I think that's the way I sort of frame it. I think the big ones that always come through for me are that, you know, fitness and exercise spaces are perhaps a lot more gendered than we might think they are at, at first glance in, in my view. So I think it's easy to say, oh, well, in exercise classes and in gyms and in exercise spaces, uh, if it's a class for everyone and it's it's not like sport where you've got a men's team and a women's team, there's just a, a gym for you to go to, that gender isn't such a issue. And, 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 and obviously there's a difference in that in that people aren't then going to be excluded from teams based on gender because anyone can go into the exercise class. Yeah. But actually fitness spaces are still highly gendered in terms of sort of the perceptions of uh, what kind of fitness activity might be geared more towards women, more towards men. Think about like uh, sort of the long-standing societal body ideals of like strength for men, thinness for women, um, skinny rather than strong, that kind of stuff. So that so gyms and fitness spaces to me are still incredibly gendered spaces and that can make it uh intimidating i guess is sort of the easiest way to to put it for people who don't fit within those gendered ideals and might be looking to um engage in those in those spaces but but feel quite um anxious about doing so so i think from a you know that's a there's sort of a i guess that's an example of the the situational influences interacting with the personal influences of okay there are things about this situation that make this feel uncomfortable for me i'm not necessarily directly excluded from this space but i don't feel comfortable entering it because of the different attitudes and perceptions that might be within that space if, if that makes sense yeah yeah 100 i've never really obviously never considered how gendered gyms are until you sort of said mm. that mm. Um, and I think I always think these sort of conversations are partly being had, but never to the extent where they then go on to think about people who are non-binary. So like the thing you mentioned about certain spaces in the gym for men and women, 
lots mm-hmm. of people think of women being scared of going to the to the weights area and staying on the yeah. card and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's not like that conversation isn't had, but then it's never extended to yeah. what about right. non-binary people who, like, where do they feel comfortable going? Mm-hmm. Do they feel comfortable in any of it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I always think, and there's all sorts of conversations. And there's even, like, I always feel subconsciously there's machines that women go on that men can't go on or men don't go mm-hmm. on. Like, how mm-hmm. many men do you see using, like, a hip abduction thing or any mm-hmm. sort of, like, glute-based exercise? Yeah. You always, I always feel like there's that sort of situational thing of, well, I, I could actually really do with that because my back's broken, so I could probably strengthen my glutes. But I'd almost feel awkward going on that machine because it's seen to be a woman's machine. Mm. So yeah. I guess that gives me a, a very small insight into actually just one of those worries that people in the LGBT plus community might have. around. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I feel like generally, I think, you know, in certain gyms that there can always be that sort of sense of uh, scrutiny from other people. But, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, you think about your, your sort of your, your typical gym with the few regulars that go there all the time that sort of insist on giving their advice and thoughts to other people who might be entering the weights area and that kind of stuff. And and, and we, we know that that can be a huge barrier to women's participation in uh, strength and weight training. We know it can be a huge barrier to a lot of people's participations in strength and weight training who haven't done it before and, and feel worried about not looking like they know what they're doing, feel worried that someone's going to come over and approach them and try and tell them how to do it. Um, and sort of the the sense of like exclusiveness around these spaces that, you know, unless you, you've been doing it for years and you know how to do it, that you don't have a right to that space. And, and I think when you're part of a minority group that um, can have a lot of anxiety around any interaction with other people anyway because of how they might perceive your gender or who they might perceive you to be, the possible confusion and awkward conversations that might be had around that because of misgendering and stuff like that. When you go into a fitness space where those conversations might be likely to occur because there are always those people who want to get involved, then you've got that added layer on top of it of, okay, well, I'm not just going to have to like try and shrug off this conversation. There's also probably going to be a gendered element to it of sort of like, you know, whether they perceive me to be a man or a woman and then how they interact with me based on that and how awkward it is. If, you know, for me, for instance, I've had, you know, people come over to me and say, oh, do you need help there, boss? Do you need help there, brother or whatever? And then me then almost sitting there worried that they're going to start questioning what they first said and, and what that mm. might then mean and what that awkward interaction might then be. Um, so I think it's, it's again, it's, it's as we said, for the, for the sport uh, part of this, it's bringing in that wider context of those gendered interactions that trans and gender diverse people might have throughout the day or the way that those interactions are made gendered by other people and how you negotiate those those also occur in fitness exercise physical activity spaces um and that can be another layer to to contend with in in being comfortable in those kind of spaces mentioned a lot of different things there in the in the paper that you sent me it talks about the minority stress model so do you want to go into a little bit of detail about what that is yeah so that's that's basically the 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 idea that the notion that 
as someone within uh, a minority group and an oppressed group, uh, someone within that group might be more likely to uh, experience a number of different sort of stresses uh, through day-to-day -day life um, that obviously accumulate and, and build up. So if we're thinking, you know, a term that people might be more familiar with is like microaggressions or micro incidents and how um, those can can build up and lead to a, a level of stress, inconvenience, distress, um, through the the playing out of those micro incidents microaggressions um little things that may in isolation feel and seem quite small but when they build up across the course of uh over a longer period of time um can be quite disruptive to someone's day-to-day -day life so that sort of um i guess in uh, sort of a a level of stress or anxiety that might be carried around with someone because of the minority group that they are uh, that they are a part of and, and what that means for how they interact with with the rest of the world around them. Um, so I think you know the that sort of how that plays out in sport exercise fitness type spaces is very similar to what I just described really in terms of those sort of small stresses that might build up throughout your sort of course of entering the gym to leaving the gym, um, the interactions you might have with other people, the use of changing rooms and toilets, that kind of stuff. Um, it could be something as straightforward as, you know, someone double taking as someone enters a changing room or, you know, it's, it's not always about, um, you know, out, very obvious outward expressions of homophobia or transphobia, for example. It's it's also about all those like little things that really only the person who's experiencing them will probably notice in that moment or someone who's very close to them and knows that they experience them um, and how they build up and, and create a level of stress around something that for a lot of people wouldn't be a, a stressful experience or would be quite a average day-to-day experience that that wouldn't require much more thought or emotional energy mm -hmm. yeah no that that makes complete sense and i think what was interesting when i read that paper was the greater percentage of lgbtq plus people that don't meet the minimum levels of physical activity mm -hmm. to maintain their health compared mm -hmm. to the general population um, and i guess that speaks to all of those things different factors that you spoke to just a minute ago if we if we look at those three layers of influence that you spoke about so systemic situational and internal mm -hmm. if we start with systemic you mentioned trans moral panic so what how would you describe that or define that yeah so i think i i mentioned this in the in the previous section on sport as well but didn't really uh, explain mm -hmm. it so i guess for me across the whole sort of landscape of how transgender people are spoke about in in mainstream media in in you know wider narratives about this there is this sense of panic around uh transgender people that you know panic around what transgender people's inclusion in wider society might cause for other members of that society and, and i think this goes back to a lot of what we were saying in the previous section around uh, things being sensationalized and blown out of proportion and, and and all of that kind of thing and and also complete uh 
denial and dismissal of the fact that transgender people have been going about their lives for you know for a very long time this isn't you know it's very much painted out as a new or there's these new people that we need to try and you know that's 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 not the case either um so i guess the the trans moral panic in this context to me is just talking about that that panic of what might happen if we make moves to further include transgender and gender diverse people within these spaces so um you know the common the common one that's played out at the moment a lot in in mainstream media is is around threat to women threat to women's safety that kind of stuff um and for me it goes back to very similar conversations around gay and lesbian people in the in the 70s or, or you know 30 40 years ago or however long ago that is now it's probably more than that um, i forget how old i am sometimes <laughs> <laughs> not that i was around in the 70s but um but you know these these sort of uh narratives that play out that paint um lgbt plus people as a threat to wider society um and i think trans and gender diverse people are at the center of that now gay people were uh back in back in that time we've moved through that largely on the whole not, not there's you know there's still remnants of that in and around but in the um for the trans and gen gender diverse population at the moment that moral panic largely is centered around uh predatory type stuff of you know trans women being uh basically labeled men who are trying to cause harm to women essentially by accessing uh women's spaces so so that that's sort of the, the panic the, the the moral panic that i would uh, ascribe to that to those narratives and discussions at the moment mm -hmm. yeah no and i think the out of those three parts of influence that you mentioned the systemic one immediately was the most intuitive to me like i can mm -hmm. see how that would how a that does play out and b how that would interfere with someone's desire to do anything essentially mm -hmm. i guess the the only question i had on the systemic thing side of things based on what you've just said there in terms of how it used to be about gay and lesbian people and it's not so much anymore um obviously in the past few years like conversations about race as well in the same sort mm -hmm. of thing have um being very much in the public eye things like the george floyd case and things like that and you said the sort of gay and lesbian things have progressed and are better now and obviously it would be very easy for me to say and i apologize for coming across incredibly blase about it but you could make the argument that racism compared to where it was a hundred odd years ago it's a much improved situation in society now than it was of course not completely right not fixed there's still lots of problems do you do you think with in terms of the trans conversation that's also going in the right direction and do you think that will it's going the same way that maybe those other two things have gone as well i think i'm inclined to think we're at a real like crucial time point now mm. as to as to what happens next and, and where things go i think for a spell it felt like things were um improving slash awareness being raised because visibility was increasing mm. more conversations were being had about trans inclusion in a lot of different spaces trans rights that kind of thing um but i, I feel like 
with that has with that increased in visibility and awareness has that's now sort of reached the the mainstream news outlets and has become uh, a much more heated dichotomous uh, really quite tense subject that it that it perhaps wasn't when people first started talking more about about inclusion mm. um, and that we're at a really difficult time now where um, the vast majority of the way that the transgender and gender diverse people are spoken about is in a negative light um, it's no, the, the, we, we aren't making any particular headway in this country in the realms of sort of legal rights and, mm. and that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I'd like to remain hopeful that things will mm. eventually, you know, that this sort of panic and uh, catastrophization and sens like sensationalization of it all will calm down and things will then move forward in a much more productive way. But I think at the moment it's really difficult to have meaningful conversations around this because it, because it's become so emotionally charged that it's, and it's, it's really difficult to see as, as someone who's part of that community looking at all of this narrative and, and playing out, it's really hard to see the positives in it and the progress mm. at this moment in time, because it just feels like there's such a, a storm around it. Um, and, you know, I go through spells where I just remove myself from that storm and think I can't, you know, like to the point where I've become like really sensitive to hearing about it. If the news has come on the telly in the background or whatever, and I hear transgender something, I'm like, oh no, what now? Like what? Yeah. Because it's gone from okay, this is a good thing. We're being acknowledged more in society. Uh, you know, people are talking about inclusion and awareness, building more to, oh no, if they're talking about it, it's probably something bad. Like that's, mm. that's where I'm at right now. And I think that's, you know, fairly reasonable based on the media coverage that transgender people are being given in a lot of different contexts at this, at this current time. So I, yeah, I, I I do hope that at some point this this will all calm down, but at the moment it's just uh, so emotionally charged and so such a volatile and, and hostile conversation in in a lot of spaces that it's just really hard to see past that. I think. Mm. Yeah, that that makes sense. I'm glad I asked because obviously I don't want you or anyone listening to think what an incredibly naive white male to think that <laughs> these problems are all getting better when. I think a big thing, like you said, it is visibility. So for me, just as someone who doesn't get exposed to these conversations regularly, you think, well, there's more of these conversations on the TV. Um, you'll see the odd story like, oh, someone in a soap is now trans and now, oh, isn't that great? And there's more pride events. And like they're the things that I see. And I think, oh, maybe this is getting more comfortable for people <laughs> without having those. So do you think that timeline is not a coincidence there where it became more part of the public conscience potentially in consciousness and then as a result people that have always had an issue with it but didn't see it are now seeing it more and thinking oh hold on i object to this so do you think the mm. fact that we were more aware of it and then people have got more hostile do you think that's not a coincidence yeah i, I yeah i don't think it's a it's a coincidence i think actually being given the the visibility uh, which should, in theory, be a positive thing mm. and is still in some cases. 
uh, has drawn attention to something that previously people's attention wasn't drawn to or a lot of people's attention wasn't drawn to um and that actually you know a lot of the um disputes around uh, access to sort of women's spaces and, and stuff like that and just a lot of the debates around legal gender and all that kind of thing like trans people were just going about their business in you know with with perhaps in some not to say without issue but um i think a lot of people who just weren't really aware or weren't really thinking about it are now thinking about it and therefore it's drawn more attention to those people trying to go about their day-to-day lives and, and i think in some cases increasing the amount of issues that, that they've experienced um yeah. because of that because people are more aware of it perhaps hypersensitive to it um I'm, i think i'm right in saying that people have um either researched or at least written about um sort of the increase in um non-trans women so cisgender women who uh, who are not trans even them being questioned in women's spaces because they don't conform to you know expectations of femininity and stuff like that so you know it's not just trans and gender diverse people who are implicated in it it's it's also people who don't conform to you know aesthetic expectations of what a woman might look like for example um and that actually you know that a lot of women who might be more masculine presenting are being challenged in those spaces as well because people are more aware and sensitive to this issue around trans people in women's spaces mm. so yeah i guess the the positivity comes from how much things have changed since 50 60 years ago but yeah. we're still probably embarrassingly short of giving people the sort of conditions that they deserve to live in and thrive in potentially because i i think yeah. obviously again it's very easy for me to sit here and say oh it's better for people but objectively women have the right to vote homosexuality is no longer criminalized mm-hmm. uh, like these sorts of things are objectively better but mm-hmm. obviously these conversations it's worth noting that there's such a long way to go that like mm-hmm. the fact that you can be who you want without it being criminal shouldn't mm-hmm. be celebrated because that's like the absolute bare minimum yeah yeah and and i think you know i think it can sometimes be feel harder to to speak out about these types of things in this context now because there can be that well you got gay marriage marriage, you got this you got that uh so what's the issue kind of kind of thing um and and as you said just then I, i i don't think that sort of the most basic uh legal rights sort of is the no one aspires to that yeah that shouldn't be the bar that we're aiming for yeah Um, and you know and i think another point that i find myself making quite regularly because i get so frustrated about it is you know how we approach all of the what what appear to a lot of people as the the smaller things so not the big laws and legal rights nor that but the small day-to-day interactions that can really uh, build up and impact people on a, on a day-to-day basis that are deemed oh it's just a joke it's just banter or stop being a snowflake like that kind of stuff um, but actually how that plays into such a wider narrative of of being othered and you know just that your existence isn't okay it's always going to be the butt of a joke or the lesser seen thing mm. um, and and how all of that is 
is still part of the work that we have to do. And, and even, you know, I mean, trans and gender diverse people, there's still a lot of a long way to go in terms of legal uh, protections in this country and around the world. But aside from that, just, you know, I don't think that should be the only bar that we're we're aiming for. Like, what about day-to-day -day life? What is that like for people? And some of those legal changes will make that day-to-day -day life easier in certain circumstances. But, uh, you know, it comes down to, it's not just about law, it's about societal perceptions and attitudes and the way that people act towards mm. uh, trans and gender diverse people and the wider LGBT plus community as a whole on a day-to-day yeah. thing. And, and, you know, that that's why I think sport and exercise is a key part of that particularly in exercise and physical activity space because you know obviously with the the health disparities that i mentioned previously and all that kind of stuff like those spaces can be just as difficult for people as as any other part of their day-to-day -day life and how we how we work to <clears throat> to change that i think is is you know is is linked to all of the wider stuff around societal perceptions to LGBTQ plus people. Mm. Yeah, 100%. I guess one of the issues with these conversations is you get a lot of the what about thems. So like, are we like, these are very difficult things for us. Oh, yeah, but what about them? They struggle with this. And I think that's another thing in the same way that I mentioned about people being dehumanized earlier. I think saying all oh, what about this group is also weaponized so mm. to try and distract from any of the problems or struggles you have we say well what about those people they also struggle or what about like trying to make it sound like well we all have our cross to bear don't we we all struggle with things mm. i think that's a really common argument to try and sort of distill um to try and like really reduce the struggles that people have so the challenge mm. mm. community have by just saying well everyone struggles with things yeah Do you find that yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the the what aboutery or whatever people call it is, you know, it's yeah. I, I find that quite frustrating as well because I think I I think like I don't understand why. You know, we're we're not. I guess it's that sort of sense that if because you can almost hear people talk about it in it in a way of well, if trans and gender diverse people get that part of the pie, then we get less of the pie as if it's like mm. some sort of trade off that between you know if if they get what they want then we can't get what we want or what we need um whereas realistically shouldn't we just be striving for everybody to have a better quality of life whatever that may entail um and i i don't you know i don't uh really personally it's not my perspective that if we give trans and gender diverse people more rights than other groups are going to be uh penalized because of that or, or you know their position weakened because of that um but actually if you know, i'd rather look at it from the other way of if we can make changes that positive positively impact on some people's life that's a good thing mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that there aren't also changes that need to be made for other groups to thrive yeah. in the same way but they need to be made too and, and i would most likely be an advocate behind those yeah. happening as well um and you know this sort of yeah, I, I, I struggle to, and also the notion that like, we should just all put up with it, whoever we are, hmm. or whatever that those issues are that we face as a group or as an, as an individual, that because others are putting up with it, we should put up with it too. Do you think and that's a British thing? 
Potentially, because I think it, it plays out in a lot of conversations around like work as well. Mm. And, and um, you know, what you're saying then reminded me of the strike stuff. Like, why should they get yeah. more? Because I don't get as much money as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, for me, it's more of a collective. Well, why are we all putting up with this? Um, you know, I do think the strikes are a good example. I think the uh, the whole like thing around quiet quitting at work yeah. and, um, you know, people standing up for oh, actually that's that's just not part of my job. Like my job is within these hours. I'm going to do these hours and then that's that. But you do hear a lot of people saying, well, well, I always had to do that. And I always, you don't know how lucky you've got it and all of that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, why are we, why are we just accepting that that's... You've known about it for years. So the fact <laughs> yeah. that I don't get it. Yeah. 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 So I think, yeah, there's a lot of parallels between that and, and the conversations we were just having around, mm. you know, why I think we are at a time now where a lot more people are speaking up and saying, well, hang on a minute, like, yeah. This might have always been the way, but that doesn't mean it should be the way going forward. And just because you suffered like that, why would you want me to suffer like that too? Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I find that quite, um, yeah, yeah. I just, I just think, why, why aren't we sort of collectively saying, okay, yeah. none of these things are okay. We can try to move towards something better for all of them, rather than no, you have to stay here because we also are being made to stay here, um, and that actually you know a lot of the tensions i feel sometimes at the moment can come between groups who actually are all seeking pretty similar things and if we worked more together instead of pitting groups against each other then then there might be something more beneficial to come from that yeah 100 percent. i guess as we move towards finally wrapping it up um you did a really good job of explaining some of the situational barriers to <clears throat> to making a change and i think they again are quite intuitive in terms of like changing mm -hmm. faces there were a few that you mentioned which are really interesting which we spoke about before in terms of like conversations you might have at the gym and what mm -hmm. you think other people's expectations of you might be which are really mm -hmm. challenging for me when i read some of the stuff you sent the internal stuff was really interesting mm -hmm. uh, and like the internalized prejudice and transphobia and things like that mm -hmm from trans individuals because mm. again as someone with no experience of this when you think of someone who is trans or has accepted that they're trans and things like that you sort of think that's it or they've had mm. a medical transition and you think well obviously that's what how you felt you were you've now embraced that that's mm. the end of it like all your worries are gone when obviously having read that that's not the case so mm. can you speak to that sort of difficulty with self-acceptance mm, absolutely absolutely so i think you know i think we've touched on a couple of times um around uh people's perhaps uncomfortableness with something that they haven't uh, been aware of before mm. um uh, uh, you know a difference in people that it might be ingrained within a lot of people as well that's not you know that's different that's not something i'm comfortable with uh, to a more negative extent, well, that's that's not right. That's that's wrong. That those kind of beliefs, um, and I think that those beliefs are, can be ingrained in a lot of people through the messages that um, that they've been exposed to throughout their entire lives, whether it's through people around them, media consumption, whatever it is. We've all got these sort of beliefs ingrained in us around 
you know what what we might think about certain communities and people and stuff like that and and i think for people who aren't part of of that community those communities you know there's a there's a element of trying to you know break down those those pre-ingrained beliefs and, and i don't think that's any different for people within those communities so if you've always heard that looking a certain way is a negative thing then even if you know that to be the right way for you it mm. can still be hard to get out of the, the the thoughts that creep in of well it's wrong for me to look like this or it's a bad thing for me to look like this and and just because you're you're part of that group doesn't mean that those all those beliefs that have been ingrained through what you've heard and seen just go away like oh well you know and, and actually that's what's part of one of the difficult parts of self-acceptance is how can I accept myself for something that the rest of society has always told me is wrong like that's yeah. um and I think that can sort of I find myself sometimes conflicted between work okay, I'm I'm advocating for this level of inclusion or this thing to go through that I think would be beneficial but then I find like the, the little demons creeping in at the back of like, well, you should just be grateful for what it is now or, you know, you're asking for too much or, or whatever it is, because those are the messages that are so pervasive from, from the rest of society and always have been that um, <clears throat> that internalised. Yeah, it's just hard to break down those those ingrained beliefs that, that there's something either wrong or, or not right or you're asking for too much or because that's what you've always been told or what society has always made you believe. Um, so I think that's no different for, for trans people. Um, and I think that because of that, when engaging in exercise and fitness type spaces, if you're, if those demons and those doubts are starting to creep in about whether you're right to exist as a person as you are, then to be that person in those spaces, as with most other spaces on a day to day life, can be there can be challenges to that and difficulties in in feeling like you belong in that space as the person that you are, because you've got all that behind you of battling those thoughts of, well, no, it is OK to look like this it is OK to be like this. And then if you have one of those interactions that we spoke about earlier, where someone might <clears throat> either misgender you or ask you about your gender or whatever it is that they might make gender relevant then that reinforces those well i shouldn't look like this it's wrong to look like this i'm not going to be accepted if i look like this so i think it's again part of that sort of burden and, and stress that is taken into context whether that be sport exercise fitness contexts or other contexts it's it's there and playing out in in those contexts uh, as well yeah and that's another great example of something that makes complete sense when you think about it but you would never <laughs> I, I personally would never consider it that would never that level and i mean self-acceptance is difficult generally for people <clears throat> i would say <clears throat> so that increased sort of next level difficulty for it must <clears throat> be it's another challenge that probably we don't consider and I think when we talk about the sort of internal effects, the body image is another thing that's obviously a, a really interesting conversation because body image, body dissatisfaction, um, dysphoria are common themes. And again, you've probably got, well, you have got all of the normal, typical body image issues that people have, like 
yeah. that everyone has, plus all of the other body mm. issues that trans individuals might have. Um, mm. One thing that was really interesting to me that I'd never considered was um, heightened awareness of body parts that are incongruent with their gender identity mm. during physical activity. Mm. Something that would never have crossed my mind as a barrier for people doing physical activity. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I do think this is a huge one on the sort of internal influences side. And, and you know, you could argue that if uh, society was more accepting of different types of bodies, different looking bodies uh, from a gender perspective or any other perspective, then then the internal influence might be less on this. But for, from an internal perspective, it's, you know, the, the body is, uh, you know, a gendered vessel through which we are living our lives which would you know it's it's gendered by the way we're perceived as perceived as to who we are uh, also our own sense of self um and you know i think um it's not true for every trans person but for a lot of trans people um feeling general discomfort in the way their body looks um is you know it can be a huge part of the, the tra tra experience of being a trans person so if you're doing anything that requires using that body, then those things are going to be more more heightened, um, and that's you know, and that that's through through the act of being physically active, and and but also through the different ways that exercise may change your body. You know, it might not always be perceived as a as a good thing. If if we're being quite general about it, then you might say that those who um, align with a more feminine sense of self, um, maybe may have concerns, more concerns around strength training, resistance training, and the level of muscularity that that may or may not give them. Um, and for those who are perhaps have a more masculine centered sense of self that, that that might be welcomed more of a, okay, this is affirming to, to who I am as a person, but that increased muscularity may be the opposite of affirming for, for some people. Mm. Um, and that's quite a general way of grouping those people. It'd be, you know, obviously very different for each individual, but, you know, taking that into consideration, I think that, you know, if you're, because again, it goes back to those societal expectations of what, a woman might look like what a man might look like and if you understand yourself as one thing but the exercise that you're doing is contributing to a societal perception of yourself that would class you as something else mm. then that can be really hard to to reconcile that difference between okay well you know either i want to do this exercise for xyz reason or because you know because it's for my health or because i enjoy it but it's going to cause changes to my appearance that don't sit right with my sense of self and how other people perceive me in the world, then then that can be a, a barrier to that. That's I think that's fascinating because of how much we lean on identity as a way of helping people change their behaviour. I know it's like a something that James Clear talks about all the time is that your actions are a vote for the sort of identity that you want and that's how mm -hmm. we get people to change the behavior like who are you what are your values what identity mm -hmm. do you have what would be like the best version of you how yeah. can you make exercise sort of fit into that but yeah. for it to directly conflict actually all of those mm -hmm. things adds mm -hmm. another layer of complexity to those exercise choice behaviors potentially yeah 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think it, it does play a part. You know, not not for all trans people, but I, I do think it's a it's a key part of that internal influence for for some trans people. Um, and also because those activities in themselves are, if we take the bodily changes away from it, those activities in themselves have been heavily gendered for so long. You know, we spoke earlier about you know weights rooms and, and strength training uh, being traditionally seen as a, as a more male thing to do and space to be in so if you're you know again just being in those spaces and the act of doing that may cause a sense of um incongruence between who you are and, and what you're doing because of the association of that being a male space if if you don't understand yourself as a man then that then that can be incongruent for some people i think and, and cause some uh, yeah, cause some dissonance in in how they're, they're in, in, you know, in in their thought processes because okay, well I'm engaging in this, but that doesn't really sit right with how I see myself because it's such a gendered activity or has been for for so long. Um, so I think there's a lot of complex uh, ways in which gender plays into the fitness and exercise spaces that. Um, perhaps aren't sort of obvious at first glance, but once, you know, you've experienced it or heard people talking about it, it's like, okay, I can see that that is, you know, that's much more gendered. Just, yeah, because I think we can think of gendered as just, okay, if it's a women only, men only, then that's that's gendered. But actually it's the unwritten stuff a lot of the time that, that, that can cause barriers. Yeah, I think one thing that sort of struck me as part of this conversation is that, and we mentioned how difficult self-awareness is for people generally. No. I think for trans individuals, many of whom have probably had these thoughts and conversations with themselves in their certainly early teens, potentially. I just think mm -hmm. that development of self-awareness and of self generally happens at potentially at a younger age or mm -hmm. much more in-depth at a younger age than other people. And that's... Mm -hmm possibly really difficult a because there's another thing where you're comparing yourself to all of your peers mm -hmm. you probably can't have those conversations with your peers mm -hmm. you probably because of your age struggle to verbalize how you feel in the same way that a lot of teenagers do mm -hmm. so again this that's another consideration for me is that like how early trans individuals are sort of developing that self-awareness and how difficult that must mm -hmm. be because i know that i wasn't I'm not saying I'm self-aware now, but like those thoughts about who am I and like what is myself mm. probably didn't happen until I was like 23, 24. And I wonder how they may have been expedited in a trans individual and how much earlier they can and what effect that has potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think that's a really valid point. And I think one of the, um, something it instantly made me think of is uh the questioning of trans people and whether they're sure about mm. their like they've not gender. thought about every minute of every day yeah yeah exactly like like you say those that thought processes and you know it's taken a long time to get to that that sense of self-awareness and so you know that what i think is is quite a good approach to it is if someone says well how do you know you're a woman or how do you know you're a man or how do you know you're non-binary is to turn it back around to that person and say well how do you know you're a man yeah. like you know it's it's the, the because if you're not trans then the likelihood is that that 
sense of who you are just hasn't in terms of gender and sex hasn't had to go under the same level of scrutiny yeah. that it has than if you than if you feel that it's different to what people are, are saying you are so <clears throat> like yeah it just it just made me think of that straight away mm. the sort of that and that, that probably comes back to acceptance doesn't it in that mm. people are oh they've just decided well, that person hasn't even accepted it themselves but they yeah. know that's who they are they don't mm. like some trans individuals probably aren't accepting or happy with the fact that that's their situation but they know mm. Mm. yeah absolutely absolutely and, and and i think coming back to the sort of the sport argument earlier or or any of the wider argument around this around the sense that that people might just do it because someone else has done it or yeah. do it you know to win a race or you know do it to to access a, a space you know it's it's that to me is is hugely um, misrepresenting, yeah. like the the process that people go through and and the, the length of time that that takes and the emotional burden that that entails and and all of the challenges that come with that to make it sound like it's such a flippant decision of oh no I'm going to be this like it's it's you know it's it's hugely uh, misrepresentative of that and and you know the the level of you know we've spoke about all these different systemic and situational barriers and oppressors and stuff like that the the notion that i might open myself up to those just to win a race in a different That's category is, yeah. is you know is is it's quite baffling to me because yeah. you know if if you could choose not to not to go through all that you know oppression then you, you probably would choose not to yeah. I, I guess you know that's so yeah that's part of a a more ridiculous argument around sort of educating children about lgbtq plus type conversations around relationships and things like that oh it's going to what if it makes them something that yeah. then all it would do and i can imagine this for me as a child knowing me as a child as i would it would ask you one more question so it would then having heard that i go am i gay no and then that would literally be the end of it. Like it's not going yeah. to turn you to something you're not. It's just, it might yeah. make your child think about some of those identities and things and think, well, actually, no, no, I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. Yeah. And, and for those people who are, those children and young people who are uh, LGBT plus, by not uh exposing them to that information that that is a possible thing to be you're not stopping them from being it you're just no. delaying yeah. their process of self-acceptance yeah. by you know making it unknown to them for a longer period of time that that's even a possibility and something yeah. that other people are as well like and that's yeah. okay um and so it's just delaying that process yeah um i feel like we've digressed slightly so i guess the last yeah. last part in terms of physical activity is what are the solutions? So one thing that um, was mentioned in the paper you sent me was um, exclusive spaces for gender diverse people. Um, mm -hmm. So like a, a transgender and non-binary swimming group was one example. Mm -hmm. For me, that kind of feels like what we were saying about the third category and that mm -hmm. it's great, but like, oh, you can train and that's fine in your group, but only for those mm -hmm. two hours in that small slot we've got at the swimming baths and then you can't. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't, that doesn't feel like a solution. So yeah. I guess, do you agree? And if so, what are the solutions? So I think uh, I think similarly to what we said for the sporting uh, aspects of this, there are things that might be progressive steps in this moment right now that may help a, a group of people in this moment to access those spaces, um, but that aren't the bar that we should be aiming for 
in the longer term. So <clears throat> ideally, you wouldn't need those transgender and gender diverse only swimming spaces because it would be easier for transgender and gender diverse people to go swimming. And I think swimming is a huge one because you can't avoid changing facilities uh, yeah. when you go swimming. If you go to the gym, you can just shower and change at home. It's inconvenient, yeah. but you can make it work. Swimming's a big one where that's a lot more complicated to do. You, you have to walk through a changing village to, to get to uh, the space that you need to be in. And I know that a lot of leisure centres have moved towards changing villages, not for trans and gender diverse inclusion necessarily, but for families who are going swimming so that dads can take their daughters into the changing room and not have to separate and that kind of stuff. So um, so that's getting easier in that sense. But again, going back to the point, I think it's, you know, they are spaces that allow people to engage in those activities in a way that feels safe and comfortable and without some of the emotional stresses and burden that might exist if they was if they were to go outside of those spaces but in the longer term there shouldn't need to be othered spaces like that as as the longer term um as the longer term goal so i think in this context in the physical activity and exercise context it's actually for me very linked to wider societal perceptions and attitudes and views towards that group of people um, and if they if they are generally improving across the course of, of society in, in every aspect then they will also <clears throat> improve within those uh, sport exercise and physical activity spaces um, because it's not necessarily so much about um, it can sometimes be exclusionary policies but it's less likely to be about that in exercise spaces than it is in sports spaces and it's more about okay well just how accepted do i feel in this space and if you feel more accepted generally in society then it's likely that those spaces are going to shift with that as well so i think it's potentially a harder question to answer in terms of practical solutions in in the here and now um but i think that those um specific spaces and times serve a purpose uh in the short term uh but again shouldn't be the long-term aim i guess the last question for me is as an individual how could you make transgender people feel more accepted so i think um <clears throat> so i think it, it largely comes down to the way that people interact with with transgender people so you know if you can make um you know if you have sort of positive interactions with people then they're more likely going to see you as an inclusive say person to work with or you know because you're not giving off that air of okay well you don't fit in my space or you know it's 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 I feel like it's very hard to put like practical, like do this, don't do that, do this, don't yeah. do and that. You don't want but that because again, no. that's bothering in that. How do we treat these people? Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's more about just sort of general uh, inclusion. I mean, I think from a from a basic perspective, you know, respecting people's respecting the language that people use to mm. describe themselves, uh, respecting the way that people would like to be referred to, that kind of stuff. That's some of the more like practical 
things that it's like okay well that's sort of a, a base level of how to show respect to someone who's who's gender diverse and not being afraid to ask you know yeah. like what pronouns would you like me to use for you etc so you don't feel like you're sort of tiptoeing yeah. around yeah. it um but i think you know other than that it's 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 really for me the way that people engage with each other and, and perhaps the way that people do or don't respond to other stuff that might be happening in that space that's not so positive and you know whether you know sometimes it can be safe and appropriate to call someone else out on that behavior sometimes it might not be but where possible how can we you know show support for people in those situations uh when when not so nice interactions are happening in those spaces um but i think i think you know for me whether i if i'm approaching someone in a fitness exercise space or any other space really there's so much of whether i feel included or accepted by them is just about the way we interact mm. not just what's been said but the way they might look at me the, the way the conversation goes you know whether i feel like they've sort of dismissed me or, or whatever there's so much of it that's not really easy to pinpoint but it's just a feeling of yeah i'm not sure that that person's okay with with my existence and so yeah. i'm not probably not going to go back to them for help um <clears throat> but i think you know the, the basic stuff of being respectful of the way people um refer to themselves the language they use to understand themselves um and also like just just not being afraid to you know if there's something that either comes into your line of work that does have a gendered element that's quite tricky to negotiate is is not being afraid to have those conversations of like well what what would work best and how should i approach this for you as an individual because if you try and sort of ascribe the same rules to every single person then it's it's probably not going to be right for, for everyone within that group so mm. you know if you know thinking in the context of fitness coaches and stuff if like you know i'm thinking about like apps fitness apps that that you have to put in whether you're male or female or you know if you're running like some sort of body composition thing and, and you have to choose a, a male or female box for a client or something like that something quite physiological like how do you approach that with a trans or gender diverse person and i think having open conversations around that and engaging trying to gauge an understanding of what that person would prefer is is much better than saying okay if i face this i'm going to do this um everyone's going to feel differently about things like that that's a great way of sort of summing up because i think There'll be a lot of people sort of like me that are very accepting and wanting to be inclusive but are worried mm. about saying the wrong mm. thing potentially but mm. then what you've basically just reminded me of is that communication isn't just what you say so were i to get someone's pronouns wrong or say use the wrong terminology the way i'm saying it how i'm communicating my body language all those things versus someone clearly doing it on purpose as mm. humans and adults we mm differentiate those things so as long as you are trying to communicate like you said like you want to make that person feel like a person mm -hmm. it's okay to make mistakes and get things wrong and ask questions and be corrected like that's normal it's, yeah absolutely but like you, you we pick up on not just the words that people say when it comes to communication mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and and if you do make a mistake apologize move yeah. on don't yeah. you know don't dwell on it and that that's you know that's it it's and I think you know you make you make a really important point there that 
you know, it's 99% of the time quite obvious when someone has made a genuine mistake yeah. to someone who is purposefully going out of their way to use the wrong language to describe you. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I would much rather someone open, if I was working with someone in whatever context, I would much rather they came to me and said, look, I'm aware that this is going to have some sort of gender connotation to it. How would you like me to approach this? I, I need to get a better understanding from you of what would be comfortable and uncomfortable for you and, and how we best go about this than just sort of try and muddle through mm. uh, without having that conversation. I think I'd much rather have an open conversation about it. Yeah, awesome. That makes sense. So, and I've nicked two hours of your time now, so I am going <laughs> to let you go. Um, thank you so much for this. It's been so interesting and again yeah, if no one else listens then i've learned a lot so that's the main thing <laughs> is there anything that you'd like to sort of finish on or say or conclude with um i think you know i think the key message through through both parts for me uh is about openness and you know openness to different people's experiences um questioning what perhaps you might have heard in the media um, and, and just keeping an open mind around, you know, what different possibilities there there might be. I think that's sort of a, a running theme through through all of it is that uh, openness and curiosity to explore ways of doing things that we haven't done before and changing the ways that we that we do things. And I think, um, yeah, starting from a place of inclusion rather than starting from a place of exclusion. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time. Um, thank you everyone for listening and I'll speak to you all very soon. Thank you.